Good evening. Really, it's afternoon. Good afternoon. It is good to be together. If you're a guest, we thank you so much for being with us on Friends Day especially. It's an encouragement to us. We hope we can be an encouragement to you and get to know you a little bit. Right after this service, we will enjoy a, a hot dog meal together. And it won't be real fancy, but it'll be enjoyable. And we hope that you enjoy the side dishes and the desserts, but especially just the fellowship time together. That meal has been moved inside. And so it's set up upstairs and downstairs with several serving lines. And so it ought to go rather quickly. And then no matter what the weather does, you'll be in the dry. And then the activities that will follow uh, some of them will be inside, and depending on the weather, some of them will be outside possibly also, and we'll just kind of play that by ear as it goes. Uh, but we look forward uh, to this time to continue to be together uh, this afternoon. We are thankful for the great contribution to help our brothers and sisters in Sudan uh, that are going through such a difficult time, and we're thankful to be a part of a congregation that is so generous also, as we think about generosity, we want to do good to single moms. And this coming Saturday, we have a single mom's car care clinic. And there are uh, postcard size little ads telling about that, but there are also business size card ads. And they are scattered throughout all the windowsills, even up front here on the Lord's Supper table and all throughout the foyer. And so if you're a single mom, we would love to serve you in that way, just a way to express a little bit of love to you and let you know that uh, we want to encourage you and help you and support you in that particular way. In other ways, if you'll let us know what it is, we truly want to love our neighbor uh, as we love ourselves. That's what the Lord has taught us to do. And this is a way to do that. If you have a, a single mom in your family or, or a coworker or whatever, please take the card and let them know. And if they'll, you'll call and make an appointment, it makes the day a lot smoother for you. And so uh, we want to encourage you uh, to call ahead and make that appointment. You can get a manicure while your car is being cleaned up and the oil changed. It's just almost too good to be true, but it's true. And uh, we, would, we would love for, uh, to be able to help you in that way. Also, we are finally tonight, this afternoon, kind of kicking off a Bible study that we're going to do for several weeks here, a lot of Sunday mornings, probably several Sunday mornings and Sunday nights for several weeks. And we're looking at the fact of problematic. We live in a world that is full of problems. Everybody has problems. I think about the, uh, the airplane that taxied out, got all the way to the runway, and the passengers had never experienced this before. It turned around and went back to the terminal and, and the door opened and there was some going in and out and there was a long delay of like an hour and very little was said and then finally they're ready to go back out again and they're taxing out and, and one of the guys sitting in the back turns to one of the flight attendants and says, hey, uh, what, what was that all about? And uh, the flight attendant said, well, the pilot heard a noise in the engine that he just wasn't comfortable with. He says, oh, well, I'm glad we got that taken care of. Did, they got the engine fixed, right? He said, no, that long delay was just finding a new pilot. <laughs> now, there are many problems that we want them to be addressed. I want to let that pause right there and just marinate in your mind. How do you feel about that statement? There are many problems that we want to be addressed. Why wouldn't you want every problem addressed? It's interesting how much we continue our problems. We actually feed our problems. Instead of saying, I want to begin a life today where I address the problems that are taking place in my life. 
I don't want to live a life where I deal with the same problems for the rest of my life. Now, there may be some problems that other people create that we in that sense deal with them, but what about yourself? Will you take responsibility for your part of the problem? Will you take responsibility for your part of the solution? What if you said whatever is within your hands, whatever can be within your responsibility, what if you said today, no more? I am not ignoring problems any longer. I want to look for godly solutions. Listen, if your idea is, if you've been believing the lies, I don't deserve a life that has problems. My life is a lot harder than everybody else. I have more problems than everybody else. Odds are you're telling yourself lies that just drains you and gets you off the path that you ought to be on. The fact is, everybody has problems. We have a lot of guests here tonight. You know, it always interests me that sometimes people that are not religious will look to people who are religious and then they'll raise an eyebrow whenever someone that is religious has problems. Why are you raising your eyebrow? You really believe people that are religious don't have problems? Of course we do. Or someone looks at a church and says, I, I heard that there's some problems up there at that church. Well, show me a church that doesn't have problems. Show me a family that doesn't have problems. Show me a workplace. You're looking for a workplace that doesn't have problems? You'll be unemployed. Are you looking for a life that doesn't have problems? I hope you have it one day, but that will only be when we live for an eternity with God in heaven. That is the only existence that we will know that is free of problems. So if our idea is, I want a problem-free life, that's not realistic. But what if we could study the book of 1 Corinthians and say, here is a book that is written all about problems. And what if we look at the way solutions are sought? And what if we tried to implement those in our life? What a blessing that would be. You know, I could go on probably much too long on this, so I'm going to try to make this quick, but I just couldn't help but think, and I, and I want to be careful what I say in this because I don't want to prejudge because there's two sides to every story, and I'm sure that there's going to be a lot over the next few weeks and next few months and probably in the next few years that come out about the super ferry of the North Koreans that, that is on the bottom of the Yellow Sea, and it's a very, very heartbreaking story. And so not to, to cast blame in, in a casual and unfeeling way, nothing like that, but you talk about a story that is almost like a perfect storm of a problem added on to a problem added on to a problem added on to a problem and it seemed like all along the way of these problems everybody was comfortable to just continue to to go forward as if let's don't solve the problem let's just add another problem to it for example, the ship was modified last year and cabins were added up top, which added additional weight. When the inspectors inspected it, they noted the fact that now this ship has a lot of weight up top. And they said, maybe because of that, which I don't understand this, this makes no sense to me, but the inspector said, because of that, we probably need to lighten the cargo limit. And so now this ship that's already overloaded with people in the way this was modified last year, left the port with three times the recommended cargo tonnage. And so it started out with a modified ship that had problems and then with an overloading problem. Why didn't somebody stop and say, no, we're not, we're not pulling out with this much weight. We're going to solve this problem before we leave port. And then because of fog, they left two hours late. Because of that, the schedules of the main captain was 
later while he is retiring from steering the ship was early. And so now at the most dangerous part of their voyage, where they were close to islands, the current was the swiftest and the turns were the sharpest. They had a 26 year old young lady that had no experience steering the ship. Now, you would like to think that a captain would say, whoa, that could be a problem. You know, before I retire back to my cabin, maybe I need to figure out how to get someone here with experience for the next two or three hours. And then, to add another problem on top of that, it had been noticed that two weeks before, there had been a faulty steering gear. And the helmsman said, whenever I gave the order to steer five degrees right, it was obvious that the ship was steered much more than five degrees right. Was that the inexperience of the crew member? Or was that the faulty steering that was supposed to have been addressed two weeks prior that I don't think they have found out that it was ever addressed? And then what about the students on board? What were they told to do? Go back to your rooms. Even the students knew that something was wrong. As a matter of fact, they were the first ones to make the emergency call to try to convince the officials that this boat is really sinking. Many of them texted and called their parents and told them this boat is sinking and nobody is doing anything. A fisherman came onto this scene very early and saw the problem and talked to the crew and he offered to bring however many he could bring in his boat and round up help. And the crew insisted, there's nothing wrong, we're fine. And of course now when that fisherman is interviewed, he is so angry. And in his words, he says something to this effect. He said, we had the opportunity to save so many lives and they sat there and did nothing. Now think about what do you do when problems come? Are you content to sit there and do nothing? And then finally, when it became really obvious that something needed to be done, still the surviving passengers say they never heard an abandoned ship call. They just left the ship on their own. Noted that the captain, what do you do when problems come? The captain was one of the first to leave the ship. You see, all in that story, it was like a perfect storm because problem after problem was either ignored or no righteous solution was found. And what I would like to ask you, not only at, during this lesson right now, but I would like to ask you, if you will, for, for the beginning of this series, I'd like to ask you, what do you generally do when there are problems in your life. And I want to take just a moment and I want to, to mention to you about 11 different things. And I reserve the right over the next several weeks for us to come up with several other things that we do. And we're going to identify these in hopes that all of us say, I'm going to stop operating like that. And let's start looking for godly solutions. And let's take responsibility and let's deal with them instead of just putting problems off. Here, here are about 11 things that, that we could do with problems. One is we put our head in the sand. You know, ignorance isn't bliss. Ignorance costs lives. Ignorance costs souls. Ignorance kills relationships. It is a very unhealthy mindset to say, I don't want to know what's going on. A second thing is just look the other way. Now, 
I don't mean to capitalize on this one thing. This could be in a thousand different directions. But to illustrate it, you know, just looking the other way is when down the sidewalk you see a homeless person on the left, so you intentionally look like that you're looking at the buildings to the right so that you never look at that person. And some way in your mind, not looking toward them and looking the other way alleviates you of your responsibility. Oh, those brethren that we have today, they're on the other side of the world. It's easy just look the other way. So if we look the other way, now are they fed? Where do you look? I think about one of my friends in high school. His senior year, he went home drunk four nights a week. Four nights a week. The first night during the week would be Wednesday night after Bible class. He would go out by himself and get drunk and come in. Every Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night after church, he would go out and get drunk and come in. How can parents not know that their son is coming in more nights drunk than not? Unless you intend on not knowing. Let me put my head in the sand. Let me intentionally look the other way. I don't really want to know what my kids are doing. Why? Not knowing is deadly. It's deadly physically. It's deadly spiritually. What do you do when problems are around you? Number three, sometimes we look and laugh as if that's a solution. Oh, if I can laugh at my problems, that solves them. That's a healthy response. Look at something that's really wrong and just laugh it off as if some way that helps. Or how about live and don't care? I don't care if it's a problem. I don't care how it affects you. I don't care how it affects me. Apathy is never healthy. Or what about the overreactor? What about the person that can truly turn a molehill into a mountain? And every problem that comes along, it's just the world's worst thing that has ever happened. Or what about the problem welcomer? You know, it's, it's like the greeter at Walmart. It's just like they love to welcome problems and every time you see them, they can't wait to tell you about the new problem that they've had. And they, they look for new problems and they try to trump the last new problem that they had. I don't really understand that, but it happens. Number seven, what about the poor pitiful me? Nobody has had the problems like I have. Nobody's dealt with the things I've dealt with. Remember Elijah, great man of God. All these things we're talking about, great people can be challenged by these things. Elijah, he literally told the Lord he was the only one standing for him that had not bowed to Baal. And you remember what the Lord said? The Lord spoke to him in that soft voice. And when the Lord got his attention, he said, by the way, you think you're the only one? There's over 7,000 people around you right now that have never bowed their knee to Baal and have never kissed him. Sometimes we tell ourselves, we tell ourselves a lot of lies. And one of the lies we tell ourselves is nobody's going through what I'm going through. I'm the only one. And that's not a way to deal with the problem. What about the blamer? Oh, I stepped on a lot of toes, didn't I, right there? I started right here, work way around. When a problem comes up, it's not my fault. I know exactly whose fault that is. It's my supervisor at work. It's the school system. It's the government's fault. It's the church's fault. Oh, don't you love those posts on Facebook? It's always the church's fault. What about, what about, it's your parents' fault? No, it's the children's fault. It's my spouse's fault. What about if when we hear a problem, the very first thing we study deeply is, what responsibility did I have in this problem? 
And then what about the one who loves to approach problems with vengeance? Oh, it's a problem. I'm going to make sure somebody pays. And what an unhealthy way to go through life. Or what about the escape artist? Oh, there's a problem at work. I'll just overindulge myself at home and forget about work. Oh, there's a problem at home. I'll overindulge myself in work and forget about home. Oh, there's a problem at home and work. I'll just take some pills. I'll go to the doctor and I'll get the doctor to give me a few more pills. Or I can go buy some illegal pills or drugs or alcohol. There's plenty of substances in which to bury ourselves, trying to escape from the reality. I want to encourage you to realize that if you're taking pills or if you're working hard for using a hobby just to escape dealing with a problem, it's never healthy. I'm not saying there's not a place for a hobby, for working hard, or for prescription drugs. There's a place for those. But make sure you don't ever use those instead of dealing with the problems that you have. And then finally, irresponsibility. Not, not my problem. I'm not going to deal with it. And where does that take us in life? If you would, open your Bibles, 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. I'd like for us to look at the first three verses together, this great study that we're going to go through. 1 Corinthians is a tremendous book. It's a book that God gives us to study. Paul wrote it. He wrote it to a church that was going through a lot of problems. Paul had spent 18 months with these people. And now Paul has gone on to his third missionary journey. And he hears that there are a lot of problems there. And so he writes a book laid out. It's outlined in the format of addressing problems. And it might surprise you if you know this book well. And, and I'm not, I know we have so many here tonight that wouldn't know it well. And so I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel uncomfortable in saying that. But I'm just saying, even those of us that know this book well, the first few verses are a surprise. Because the problems this church was dealing with, if a lot of us saw a church down the road dealing with this problem, you know what we'd say? Well, I don't even really think they're a faithful church anymore. I don't even really think God would count them as a church anymore. Well, that's interesting. Look how God spoke through his word and through the apostle Paul here. In 1 Corinthians, let's look at the first three verses. 1 Corinthians, first chapter, it's on page 1012 in the Bible that's in the pew there if you want to read along or on the screen. He says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who are in every place, call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from our God and Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting how he bathes them with compliments? That term church of God there is not a, a title that was on a church sign that says this is the name God gave his church in the New Testament. It was a description. In other words, he's saying the church, that's the people who are called out. That's what the church means. And they're called out what? Called out of the world to belong to God. 
You see, the description most oftentimes used in Scripture of the church always shows that the ownership is God. Like, for example, in Romans 16 and 16, it's the churches of Christ. In other words, this, this church belongs to Christ. It belongs to the Godhead. But that's not the most usual description. The most used description in the Bible of the church is simply that phrase, the church, meaning the called out, those who are called out of the world. Now, notice he says, I want to talk to you and I realize that you are the church that belongs to God. Brethren, that was a compliment and especially to all the struggles that these people were having in their life. And then second, notice, he even says that you're sanctified and you're called to be a saint. The same root word is found in sanctified, saint, and holy. And so what he's saying is, is that you have been set apart from the world in Christ. You remember this year, our theme is kingdom living. So we're living a life under the reign of the king. And so our life is sanctified. We're set apart. Our life is holy. We're not going to indulge in the things of the flesh. And then isn't it interesting that he, his greeting includes grace and peace. And that's to a church that had serious struggles. What were their problems? And over the next few weeks, we probably won't be able to look at all of these. But does this interest you? I hope it does as we study these. Look at this next slide. And, and here's an outline of several of the problems that Paul addresses. In chapter 1, he addresses the problem that they were following men. They were following preachers instead of following Jesus Christ. Listen, anything or anyone that we follow other than Christ, that's a problem that needs to be addressed. In chapters 2 and 3, they weren't growing spiritually. He wanted to talk with them about spiritual things, but he couldn't. And so there was a problem. What was the problem? You're not growing. It's a problem when we're not growing spiritually. Chapter 4, the kingdom of heaven is serious business. And if you don't see the kingdom of heaven is serious, Paul is ultimately saying to them, there's a problem we need to address. And then in the fifth chapter... There was sexual sin. Now, interestingly, that really wasn't what he was addressing in the fifth chapter, although there's lessons to learn there. What he's addressing in the fifth chapter is how the church should confront sexual sin. What should we do? You know, we hear the expression like cultural war. Is that biblical? Does God call the church to go to war against the culture? Or does he teach that our enemy is not flesh and blood? Our enemy is Satan. What are the passages that teach us to picket, to riot? We'll see in the fifth chapter what the Lord does call us to do to confront sexual immorality. Then we come to the sixth chapter and we see that he does address taking a brother to court. Again, there's a problem. How are they going to solve the problem? He said, if it's a brother or sister in Christ, you don't solve the problem by going to court. The sixth and seventh chapter, sexual immorality is the problem. The seventh chapter, marriage is the solution to it. And the eighth chapter, violating the conscience is a problem. We don't talk about that a lot, probably as much as we should in studying the Word of God. We definitely don't talk about it in the world anymore. But I need to recognize that God says, you violate your conscience. You have an internal problem going on that needs to be resolved. Chapter 11 is about disobedient worship that was taking place, and that was a problem. Chapters 12, 13, and 14, jealousy was creating a problem. Chapter 15, we looked at this last Sunday morning. He said, some of you are saying there's no resurrection of the dead. There was a problem with that. And so he gave us a long chapter dealing with that. This morning we looked at chapter 16. We got brothers and sisters. They're in another nation, but we got brothers and sisters. They are starving. And Paul says, that's a problem. 
And so they addressed the problem and how they were going to deal with it. In other words, there needed to be solutions. And that's the thing. With all of these things, Paul could have just put his head in the sand. He could have just looked the other way. He could have said, who can we blame for this? Who, who, who's to blame for following men? Who's to blame for taking someone to court? Who's to blame? He didn't spend a lot of time on who's to blame. Instead, he spent time on solutions. And so I'd like to just throw these out for you to think about, and then the lesson is yours. And, and I'm not saying this is the perfect pattern right here. We're going to develop a spiritual and scriptural pattern over the next few weeks. But notice this. When we're dealing with problems, what if the first thing we did was we admit it? And what if we identified it? See, to admit it is not to put our head in the sand. What if we identified it? Instead of blaming everybody else, what if we said, let's identify this problem? And then what if each of us took responsibility for our part of the problem? And in that, what if we also took responsibility for finding the solution that we could bring to the problem? What if next we saw God's wisdom and guidance? Now that goes right along with seeking the solution. That's not two different things. That's elaborating upon that last one. What if we said, I know that God has a principle and a guidance for all things in life. The scriptures give us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so we look to God for strength. We lean on God's people for support. We drill to the core of the problem. In other words, it goes back to what we believe. We won't heavily develop this, but I'll show you this that we looked at when we studied Colossians a few months ago, uh, in the last few months. And, um, and this is what we'll develop to a degree also as we look through problem solving. You'll notice there that each layer of the three layers of that pyramid is a different description. We see the bottom is the belief and the next is the value or your convictions and the top is your behavior. Notice that the behavior and above is what is visible to us. So we see a problem sometime in behavior and we make a terrible mistake if we think, well, all I have to do is address behavior. That will not change anything long term. And I hope you believe that and I hope you recognize that. Our behavior is always tied back to our core value system. What convictions do you have in your life? And those convictions are always tied back deeper to your belief system. What you believe about God, what you believe about His Holy Word, what is going to be the standard in your life that forms this is what is right, this is what is wrong. That belief system is what, conform, what forms your values and your convictions and that forms your behavior. And so what we want to do as we look at solutions is we want to go deeper than just the top level of the pyramid. We want to drill down and say, you know, if I'm having a problem with sexual immorality, there's probably something messed up in what I believe about God and about the convictions that I have. If I'm having problems wanting to take a brother to court, there may be something that I don't understand about God and his church and the value system. Look, I don't know exactly where that leaves you right now. I don't know if, if that convinces you of, wow, I want to study through 1 Corinthians because I believe that there are things here that in principle could help me learn how to better solve or resolve our problems or at least walk faithfully through our problems. Some problems can't be solved, but we still can walk faithfully through them. And so I want to encourage you. Will you come back next Sunday? And let's join in together in this series. And let's see if we can go through life 
of identifying problems and finding godly solutions. And instead of saying, poor pitiful me, I should have a life that is problem free. Instead, what if we say, God, I will walk with you through every problem I have. And in that, we'll give God the glory. Tonight, where do you stand? Just make sure, whatever you do, make sure you're not standing without God. We all need a friend, and Jesus Christ is the best friend we could ever have. He died on the cross to save us so that we could spend an eternity with Him and His Father and the Spirit. Please let that sink in. He loves you that much and He wants to spend an eternity with you. And tonight if you're here and, and you don't really know what to respond to or what to do, will you know this? We would love to encourage you any way we can. If you want to sit down during the week sometime this week and just talk about spiritual things and, and figure out a better way to live, surely we can find that in the Holy Word of God. If we can help you now during this invitation song or if we can help you later on, please don't hesitate to let us know. We would love to pray with you. We would love to see you baptized into Christ. We would love to see every one of us grow closer to God. There's not a person here that doesn't have problems, but we all can walk with God and seek His solutions. If we can help you, come as we stand.